Well, it is great to see you all here today. We are finishing up our series, Come to Jesus. And for the last four weeks, we have been discussing this idea, this notion, this phrase that we hear now in popular culture in the news, many different places, that people need to come to Jesus moment. And they're not actually necessarily talking about coming to the real Jesus, but this phrase, this uh, thing that we say in culture has become a stand-in. And in fact, come to Jesus now has a definition in the Urban Dictionary, and it goes uh, like this one. Someone discovers the truth, the essential meaning of something, a moment of realization, an aha moment, a critical moment, a turning point, a reassessment of priorities. And we who do follow Jesus, we know that this is actually true when we come to Jesus. And again, this is why the phrase has become, um, you know, something that's used in popular culture. And like I said a couple of weeks ago about the raptors, uh, It was pain in my heart on Wednesday. The whole organization needs to come to Jesus moment. Four years ago, we celebrated with glory, and it was beautiful, and and we've fallen so far. And so, you know, rebuild is in order, and coming into the hockey playoffs, as I have said, doesn't matter what happened in the regular season, it's time for everybody to show up, all of our stars need to come to Jesus moment, need to show up in the playoffs, enough about sports this morning. But all of us truly, not just as a phrase, not just a colloquial expression, that every individual actually needs to come to Jesus. And it has meaning for us in our lives as we celebrated the resurrection and talked about the facts surrounding the resurrection. But then also, what does it mean for us Uh, when we receive and we see this invitation in the ministry of Jesus. And so as we finish up today, we are going to see um, a a story about a man and his son and how uh, Jesus had an invitation for them and the same thing that he has for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our our faith is very Jesus-centric. When we look at the story arc of the scripture, the Bible, the Old Testament, is pointing to the fact that a Messiah is coming. All of the, the heroes of the faith that we see in the Old Testament that we can mention, Abraham and David and Moses and all the rest, they're all pointing to the fact that the Messiah is coming, that the anointed one is coming, and he's going to change everything forever. And it's not just going to be a physical deliverance from physical bondage in different nations. It is actually going to be a spiritual de- deliverance, and everybody is going to be able to know God for themselves. And as we celebrated the resurrection last week, we read about the Apostle Paul and how he said, without the resurrection, we are hopeless, that without the resurrection... Um, we would just have moral teachings that would just be compared to other moral teachings in the world religions. But what makes Jesus different is the resurrection. And this is why we listen to his teachings is because of the resurrection. So Christianity is all about coming to Jesus. And we want other people to come to Jesus and have the same real experience, not just a euphemistic phrase but to truly come to Jesus. And this is why uh, it was so great last week, uh, all of the people that you invited to come to church on Easter, it, it was special. I talked to one family, they invited eight different individuals. 
And we can continue to do that. Uh, not just on Easter, we want to be the type of church that someone can discover a relationship with God. And then you, with that friend, that person that you would invite, that you could walk along uh, with them in their journey of faith. And, and we've said this, that it doesn't actually, ch- you don't need to change anything in your life to come to Jesus. You don't have to c- fix a bunch of things, adjust a bunch of things, and then come to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, everything changes that we are changing the lordship of our life completely to him and then we are submitting every part of our lives as we sang uh, Surrender All this morning. Hey, I just wanna make mention of you know, Charla's encouragement there. If you haven't heard some of those uh, names, she was actually giving the Hebrew names of God and that would be a great Bible study for you sometime. We actually have some uh, resources some links to some online Bible study pages. And if you just go to one of those pages and you do a search about the names of God, all of those names that she talked about, all those Hebrews names, they all reveal something about the character and nature of God. If you're looking for a Bible study to do, I highly recommend that one. All right, Matthew chapter 11. And we expounded upon these verses uh, last week on Easter Sunday. We're just gonna read them this morning. Matthew eleven twenty eight. it says, come to me. And again, this is a unique invitation in the context of all other world religions that God here in the flesh, Jesus says, come to me. Whereas we look at all, if we were to compare other world religions, they're all about doing a doctrine, following a dharma. Maybe you will do something and accomplish something. But Jesus, and this is the invitation that God gives to each one, Jesus says, come to me, that we would come to the personal God with ourselves. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So there's a comparison here about understanding our relationship with God, and then maybe some things that we're going through in life, that we would come to Jesus if we are, if life is laborious, and we're heavy burdened with life. That life can feel like this sometimes, that it's just, we just don't know what to do. There's just so many difficulties. We're overwhelmed by so many different things. And the state of the world could be like this. Just looking at, watching the news for 10 minutes can be overwhelming. Plus, whatever's going on in your life. Plus, what's ever going on with your parents and with your kids and in your relationships. All of life can just seem very heavy. And this is why it's so important for all of us to come to Jesus on a daily basis. Not just people who are far from God need to come to Jesus, that is true. But those of us that call ourselves Christ followers, we daily, we need to see ourselves coming to the throne of God. And we're gonna talk about that and read that here in a second. Here's a story in in Mark chapter nine about a father and a son and really going through a difficult situation and a difficult time And we're gonna see how Jesus responds to this hopeless situation, and it should actually give us hope. It's a a terrible, it's a difficult situation, and if any of you parents know out there, you you would so much rather be sick than your kids. If your kids are struggling with something, he's like, I would just just rather it be me. And this is a situation with this father, his son is going through something terrible. He can't seem to find any solutions, and and he brings the son to the disciples, and they can't do anything. 
And the precursor to this story is the Mount of Transfiguration, that this beautiful moment that some of the disciples are there with Jesus and they, they see Moses and another prophet and just like a supernatural moment and they come back down and there's this struggle going on with, G, with the disciples and this man. So let's read about it here in Mark chapter four, verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked, Jesus asked this question. And the man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked you, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Verse 19, Jesus says this, you unbelieving generation, how many know Jesus is rebuking his disciples and he's not doing it privately? He's like out in public for everyone to hear. Would you have survived being Jesus' disciple? Would you got offended and walked away in this moment? Jesus says, you unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And then he says this, bring the boy to me. Bring him to me. Just this notion, this thought. Is every situation in life, this is the invitation from Jesus. Bring him to me. Bring this situation to me. Because again, sometimes we don't know what to do. And the disciples didn't know what to do. And the religious leaders didn't know what to do. And the father didn't want to know. His son was suffering seizures, probably some sort of epileptic seizure. And then Jesus says, bring him to me. So there is always hope when we can come to Jesus. So they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately he threw the boy into convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Now listen to what Jesus did. Jesus asked the boy, his father, how long has it been like this? Now, did you read verse 20? This is a scene, man. Like there's some wild stuff happening. And then so the boy is falling on the ground, fit, you know, suffering with the seizure. And Jesus pauses and has a casual conversation. It's like, how long has he been like this? Are we overreactors? Anybody an overreactor out there? Care to admit it? Jesus didn't go into emergency prayer session. He's just having a conversation. Jesus is not overwhelmed by this problem. This is why Jesus says, bring him to me. How long has it been like this from childhood, he answered. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now listen, verse 23, Jesus repeats what the father asked. If you can, if you can, Jesus is saying, if you, the, the man told you, if you can do anything. And Jesus is like, if you can. And Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit streaked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Like this group is just a faithless bunch, right? They're just like, 
He killed him. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. This is a seemingly hopeless situation. No answers. No solution for the man and his son. What does Jesus say? Bring him to me. See, the Lord is not surprised by the problems that come your way. Are you here this morning? Something happens to you. The Trinity's not having a conversation in the realm of God. Jesus doesn't turn to the Father. It's like, whoa, we didn't see this coming. With confidence, Jesus says, bring him to me. So when we face situations, this should always be our response. We know that Jesus always makes this phrase, come to me, all you are heavy laden and life is filled with labor. There's this terrible situation. The father doesn't know what to do. Jesus says, bring him to me. See, when we face situations, just, there's the situation, there's the circumstance, but not just the circumstance, there's the weight of it. And sometimes the weight of it is harder than the actual circumstance. The emotional toll that we go through when we're facing a difficult situation, and this is what we would see with this father, is just exasperated by what's going on with his son as any loving parent would be. The weight of it, the struggle, the feelings associated with the situation. But the invitation is always the same. Bring him to me. See, sometimes we we just figure life. There's no way out. There's no answers. There's no path forward. But Jesus is not surprised by the situations that have come your way. And he can handle it. He wants to be involved. And again, in this interaction that he had with the father, he's like, well, if you can do something, I can do something. If you can believe, he says to the father that we would actually put our trust in God, that we would truly, honestly, authentically come to Jesus and not just have it be a saying. For those of us that follow Jesus, that we would come to him because the invitation is bring your impossibilities to me. No way out, no forward. This seems hopeless. This is a question here about doubt that the the father says, you know, help my unbelief. And when we see unbelief or doubt described in the New Testament, there's kind of two different ways to think about it, two different words that are used. And one of them is just kind of an obstinate doubt. I, I won't believe anything, anytime, anywhere, just sort of a hard heart. And then there's another thought about doubt is just kind of confusing, questions. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And that latter, there's just a humble one. And the first one is hard heart. The first one is, I just don't get it. I'd, I'd like to get it. I'd like to understand. I'd like to know what to do. And the, the first type of doubt is just, nah, it doesn't matter what you say. I'm just not going to believe anything anytime. I'm just going to be a constant skeptic. Have you ever thought about the skeptics? That the skeptics are skeptical about anything and everything except their own skepticism. And that's just the hard heart. You can't get through. But there's another type of doubt. There's this this question. Uh, and, And Jesus can move us from doubt 
to faith. This is what the father wanted to help my unbelief. The children of Israel were like that and they, they were a great example of this, that they were always struggling with doubt and God had done miraculous things in their sight and God had brought that first generation, that children of Israel through the Red Sea. They had seen tremendous miracles where they were in Egyptian bondage and then again, the, the exodus out of Egypt. But then after that, they were just struggling with doubt. They were struggling with all of their questions And in the book of Hebrews here, we're going to read about chapter three and four. You can read about this this afternoon, the whole thing. I'm just going to read a portion of it today. That they, God had told them to go to the promised land. In other words, God had an intention for them, but they just straight up didn't believe it. They didn't believe what he said. Hey, I want you to go in the promised land. And instead of going into the promised land, they wandered around for 40 years just because they didn't believe, just because they didn't put their trust in God. Not just believing that he exists, not believing he's there, but trusting in him, knowing that he is saying to us, bring your situations to me. Let's read about this group here in Hebrews chapter four, verse six. It says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter to that rest. Now, again, talking about the children of Israel, the rest means moving into the promised land. And since those who formerly had the good news, again, talking about the children of Israel, had the good news proclaimed to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. God said again, set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted, quoting here the Old Testament. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, don't be obstinate. Don't be stubborn. When you hear the voice of God do something, when you hear the invitation of Jesus, bring him to me, we should accept that invitation. And I love this description here in these verses. Um, In verse seven, let's go back and read again. God, again, said a certain day, calling it today. So what's the set time for us to come to Jesus? Uh, It's today. It's always today in the economy of God, in our relationship with God. God always says, now is a good time to bring your stuff to me. The invitation is always the same. It is always today. This is the nowness of our relationship with God. This is the beauty of our relationship with God. Matthew 11 will read the same every day from now to eternity. The invitation has come to me. So let's do something today. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given the rest, God would have not spoken about another day, talking about the day that we live in. That Jesus has done something for us. He's done something for us on the cross. Verse nine, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For if anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Now these seem like opposing things, but they're not. Make an effort to enter into rest. And then the the rest of the verse continues, so that no one will perish by the following their example of disobedience. This is what's great about the scripture. We can look at the Old Testament and we can see disobedience so we don't repeat it. 
And then we can see moments of faith that we would repeat those things. That we would strive, the King James says, to enter into the rest of God. What is that rest? I'm just going to relax, trusting God. Because Jesus says, bring him to me. Nobody can do anything about it. I don't know the answers. Jesus is not intimidated by your problems, by your situations, by your circumstance. Bring him to me, he says. And we've been quoting this each week. But verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart that the word of God comes to us. Will we believe it? Or will we be disobedient? Not trust it? Not enter into the rest of God? What is, it, what is the example being given to us? Don't follow the disobedience. Don't wander in the desert. Put your trust in God. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, God knows every situation we're in anyway. This is why he wants us to come to him. He knows all of the struggles that you have. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you did last night and the night before that. So you might as well talk to him about it. You're not hiding anything from God. And we shouldn't be trying to keep anything back from God. Especially hopeless situations. Verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. For if we do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus gets what it means to be human. Fully God, fully man. He lived and he walked on the earth for 33 years. He understands what it means to be tempted by the things that we struggle with, yet without sin. So when we come to him with our stuff, with our struggles, he's not surprised. He gets it. He understands, and this is why he says, come to me. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Why can we do it with confidence? Because the invitation has been given. We should confidently come to the throne of grace. Not sheepishly. This is, see, this is really important. We, we should come with confidence. For those of us that follow Jesus we are a child of God, sons and daughters of God. I don't know about you, but my, my kids come to me shamelessly and ask for stuff. Dad, can, can I get this? Sometimes it's not going to please. Hey, can you get me this on the way home? I'm like, please? Is there a please in there anyway? But I'm okay with that. I, I'm, I'm glad that they have a confident relationship with me. And it's the same way with God. You don't have to walk up a flight of steps on your knees, whipping your back and just say, okay, God, will you accept me now? No, 
the invitation is to come with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And when situations seem hopeless, isn't that a time of need? We could get to a spot that not just the circumstance, the weight of the circumstance. But Jesus is not afraid of the circumstance. He's not afraid of the weight surrounding it. He says, like he said to the father, bring it to me, bring him to me. We'll skip down a couple of verses to First Peter 5. We'll finish with this this morning. Now, again, as I've mentioned a little bit in the message today, and the, the purpose of the series is so that we will truly, genuinely, honestly, on a daily basis, come to Jesus, not hold back. The thing I said earlier you know, sometimes, again, we feel like, and I don't know why we do this, but sometimes we feel like if I don't talk to God about this, he doesn't know. Or if I invite God into these seven areas of my life and there are three other areas that, I, you know, I'm just going to just between me and myself. I'm not going to invite God into th- these three areas. God knows that you're thinking that. And God wants to help you with those three areas that you're trying to hold back from him. And we just think that we can do it on our own. But again, this is the disobedience. This is where the disobedience comes in. This is where we don't walk in the Sabbath rest for our soul. That we have rest because we trust in God. That we accept the invitation of come to me. Bring him to me. First Peter chapter five, verse six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How are we gonna humble ourselves? Verse seven, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That is so profound, guys. It's so powerful, that thought. Because what are we doing when we're not doing this? We're not humbling ourselves. We're like, God, I got got these three. You can help me with these seven of 10, but these three, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. It's pride. We don't want to hold back from God. And here, what is it? This anxiousness in my heart, casting all of my anxieties. Things I'm nervous about, the things that I don't know what to do, the things that I don't have a pathway forward. Why would I do all of this? Because he cares for you. This is why Jesus says to the Father, bring him to me. Verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. I love what Peter is saying here. It's like the things that we face are the things that people face. 
the struggles that I'm facing are the struggles of humanity. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself, what will he do for us? He will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. See, God comes in when we accept the invitation and we truly come to him and we know that he gives us the invitation, bring him to me, bring this situation to me. He will give us the necessary strength, but let's humble ourselves. Let's do this right now. Let's take a few seconds. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Again, this invitation to humble ourselves. The areas that we, whether verbally or just innately are saying, God, I I got this on my own. Let's humble ourselves and bring all of our stuff to God. He's not surprised by it. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about the stuff that you're worried about. So God, we just take a moment and we respond and we come to you today. We open every part of ourselves to you. The things that we think are impossible, the things that we think there's no pathway forward, the things that are weighing us down, the areas of, of life where we're indecisive. The areas of life where it seems impossible. Like the man with his son, you say, bring it to me. So God, we just bring this to you this morning. We bring every area of our life. Maybe some of the areas where we had given up hope. God, that you would strengthen us this morning, that you would give us your wisdom. We cast all of our anxieties on you. We don't don't carry it anymore. God, and we thank you that you are giving us the wisdom, the way forward, the answers. We thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your healing power. God, the questions that we have, we thank you that you are answering those by your spirit, by your word. God, we truly want to know you. We come to you humbly, to your throne of grace. We thank you, though, that you are helping us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, you have never said yes to Jesus, never made him the Lord of your life. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus accomplished it for us. We can't come to God and pretend that we're perfectly moral and say, God, will you accept me now? I fixed everything. 
we can't create some sort of system religion of religion and say, God, look at this thing that I'm doing. Will you accept this? Now, the story of the gospel is that God came down in Christ and made a way for us to have a relationship with him. And it's just a gift. It just comes by grace. And all we have to do is say yes to that gift this morning. So if that is you this morning, I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you to pray along with me. It's just a starting point of your relationship with God. God has called us all to be disciples. In other words, lifelong learners. Or maybe you're here this morning and you used to be in a relationship with God or you feel distant from God this morning for whatever reason. You know, God is not mad at you. God is inviting you close to himself again. You pray along with me as well this morning. So church, let's bow our head and close our eyes. Praying with somebody who might be praying this for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So today I say yes to that relationship. I say yes to your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways and I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's congratulate those that did that today. Hey, if that is you this morning, uh, take a few seconds and grab the Connect card that's there in the seat pocket in front of you. Check off the appropriate box and turn that card into the info desk of the lobby. And we actually have some materials that we would love to put into your hand free of charge that will help you on your journey of faith. This is just a one-time moment one-time decision. But again, uh, Jesus in the Great Commission says that we are supposed to be disciples and the materials that we will give you will help you on that discipleship journey. Uh, Just to remind you about a couple of the announcements, if you want to find out about the city team, uh, there's some QR codes uh, right outside the door and you can start serving here at the church if this is your church home. And then online, we've got information about city groups. And then one other thing I just want to make mention of, um, it's, it's getting... Uh, a little bit busy in the city kids hallway. Now, if, if you just have one child in city kids, mom and dad and grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, don't all need to go in the city kids hallway. Maybe just one parent could go and everybody else could wait in the lobby. Now, if you have multiple kids, you might need to divide and conquer that all that makes sense. But let's, uh, and just for safety's sake, wouldn't you agree that we don't need extra people in the city kids lobby. So please just parents in there as necessary and uh, that will help us tremendously. Does that sound like a good plan? Does anybody wanna keep our kids safe? Yes. So please help us to do that. Let's all stand up together today. Thank you for coming to church today. Have a great afternoon. You are dismissed.